right, welcome to episode number three of the Backlash podcast. Today, I have a whole host of people on the line, and we're going to talk uh, to Brad and Carrie from Musky Mayhem Tackle. And for the first time on the podcast, we're going to talk to John Betty with Stealth Tackle. How is everybody doing tonight? Doing good. We're all doing good, I think. Yep. That's good. At least it's better than our earlier conversation. All right. So, John, why don't we start with a little bit of background on your company? I know uh, Stealth Tackle, they primarily do um, musky leaders and pike leaders as well in, um, you know, for a variety of different applications. Why don't we just start with, why don't we start with the background, I guess? Why, why did you, why did you even start Stealth Tackle? Because I know if, I, I mean, you could probably ask Brad and Carrie this. I'm definitely wishing that I wouldn't have started my company. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what, what, what prompted you to get involved in it? Why leaders? Uh, and then, uh, I mean, if you could maybe give us a quick synopsis of like the different steps. I mean, obviously, I know where you're at right now within your business. I mean, it's in my opinion, Stealth Tackle is the premier leader in the in the industry. Obviously, you didn't you didn't start with the process that you have now. You probably started with leaders in plastic bags and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I'll just... Why don't you give us the background? Yeah, well, I mean. I've been musky fishing since I was a kid, so I always kind of tinkered with with baits and terminal tackle and everything like that. And as you as I progressed through musky fishing, getting a little bit older, and as equipment evolved and everything, it, it seemed like the leader was kind of kind of left behind a little bit. Um, most companies would you know offer a leader as kind of a side thought, so. I started making my own leaders because I wasn't happy with what was available on the market. If it, if it had the right components, it had lousy materials and vice versa. If it was good material being used and the, the, the components on it were, were garbage and I would wind up switching stuff out, you know, to uh, get happy with it. And then, uh, you know, I was fishing up at, at Eagle Lake a lot up at, out of Andy Myers and, uh, Steve Herbeck and his guys up there really helped me out along the way with teaching me a lot of stuff right about the same time that uh, fluorocarbon started getting very popular in our industry. So uh, I kind of came up with an idea for my fluorocarbon leaders, which I certainly did invent leaders, but uh, I kept getting, I would go back up there and get comments from the guys up there. Hey, where'd you buy those leaders from? Well, I made them. I started making them for different people and it just kind of evolved, evolved from there. Uh, word of mouth started traveling, uh, you know, among some of the bigger names in the industry and, uh, and it just, just kind of evolved from there with, uh, really the big thing was, was timing too with, with, like I said, when fluorocarbon kind of came into the, came into the musky game, I was right there with something to offer that was pretty solid for the time. So, what what year was that, John? When did you start? Uh, probably like two thousand five, two thousand six, right around that. Okay. Yep. So, so really similar time frame as us. I mean, Muskegon yeah. officially started in two thousand five. Um, and right. like you, I'm sure you were playing before that too. Right. Yeah. Officially started. I mean, you know, we like Jeff had said we tinkered around a little bit, and you know, leaders and baggies, and then. You finally realize, hey, I got something here. So you, you know, you start establishing yourself and and, and doing what you got to do to to do a business startup and everything that goes along, all the headaches that go along with that. And then you get to the point where, like Jeff said, someday you're wondering, what did I get myself into? 
Yeah, right. There's no doubt about that. Right. And like I tell everybody that thinks it's really cool and neat, and it's like, you know, wow, that's awesome. You're in the fishing business. You probably get to fish a lot. I'm like, well, if you like to fish, I would suggest not getting in the tackle into the fishing industry. So Some people in the fishing industry get to get to fish a lot. Right. Not particularly me and John. Right, and, it, and if you're going to take it seriously and get it get it to the next level, you you really got to dedicate time to your business to do it right. So those you know, people in the fishing industry that get to fish all the time, they're called guides. Yes, <laughs> or retail shops. Yeah, they oh. they they fish the most, I think. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll tell That's... you this, when I'm guiding, there's a lot of times I'm just standing there running a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at, least, but at least you get to be on the water. I don't disagree. There's some good things about it. Don't get me wrong. And most of the good things about guiding is uh, your clients. Um, it's good to hang out with a lot of them. And when you have return clients, um, it's fun. You know, right. they become good, solid friends, really. And if you're, and if you're running the boat so that they're doing what they need to do to catch the fish, then that's where it pays off, I suppose. It's even better. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, John, so, can, can you share with us, you know, kind of some examples of the different leaders that you're you're making currently? Um, I know you make some leaders for Muskie Mayhem, uh, you know, that yeah. we, we uh, how would you say it, private label? But well, I guess it wouldn't be. It'd be like oh. a joint... I, I call it a co-branding. Yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. No, yeah, we, we do the uh, uh, full carbon leader, the 150 pound, uh, for, uh, which is, is really probably the most popular bucktail leader that we sell since I started. Um, and then we also do the, the solid wire 240 pound leader. And there's still a lot of people that don't want to trust floral carbon, so... You, you have an option, you know, there's no rule that says that, you know, if you're not using fluorocarbon, you're not going to catch a fish with it. You know, I, and I, you know, through the years of selling it, you know, I, I've always told people the same thing. If, if you're not comfortable with it, you know, use what you're comfortable with. You know, you got to use what you're comfortable with and you have and, and something that you have uh, confidence in as well. Let me, let me ask you a technical question on, on floral carbon, because myself, I am more of a, a single strand wire guy, mm-hmm. um, partly probably because I'm old school. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I've always heard about uh, floral carbon is that if you can imagine the, the length of that floral carbon, um, it's built, how, how do I explain this? Perpendicular. Perpendicular to the, to the line. Um, so if you get a nick, you really got to be concerned about that, that that nick is going to start pulling apart yeah. at some point. Yeah. Where the yeah. monofilament is in line, correct? Yeah. Parallel with the line. Right. Well, monofilament is a, is just a single strand of, of nylon. Okay. And designed that way, whereas, whereas floral carbon, I guess you would say it's, it's multi-layers. Okay. So that, that's a big difference with it. But, but the... Floral carbons are made with with uh, a much more heavier. Uh, oh, the, well, the same floral carbon has the same properties that go into uh, Teflon. Same chemical properties that are in Teflon are also used to make um, 
to make fall carbon as well. So uh, it's going to offer you a uh, much more abrasion-resistant product than, say, a monofilament, and also give you UV-resistant and, and, and weather-resistant product, whereas, uh, as you know, with monofilaments, you leave it out in the sun too long, it's going to break down, so on and so forth. Now, as far as the uh, getting a nick in it, you know, my thing is everybody always asks, when should I change it out? Well, if you're thinking about changing it out, change it out. You know, you're right. you're investing way too much money in these lures these days. Uh, you see what these retailers are charging for them. Oh, my gosh. That's why they go fishing all the time, I guess. Why, why does everybody need to dig on the retailer on this episode? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just wanted to make sure you were awake and paying attention. Well, I think, I think both of your payments are going to slow down for a couple months. <laughs> But uh, but anyway, so my rule of thumb, would, my advice to anybody is that, so if you can run your finger down the fluorocarbon leader and you can feel where, where it's not smooth and it gets a little abrasion on there, as long as you can't, as long as you, when you run your finger down it, if your thumbnail stops in the material, that's a substantial enough nick where you need to switch it out. If it's just a little bit of roughness, you're still okay to keep using it. So, interesting. You know, if you only oh, fish that? two times a year, you don't have to worry about these problems. Right, right, yeah. You do if you have a nick in it. Well, if you go fishing two times a year, you're probably not going to get a nick in it, so I don't have to worry about this too much. <laughs> I, and, you know, full carbon, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, if you use, use our leaders, you're never going to have a problem with it. I mean, I know guys that have, that have had a, uh, issue with a full carbon leader if a fish teeth catches it just right with with one leader i've had other people tell me they've had 30 or 40 fish on the same leader so you know it, it's something that you can't just you, you still have to pay attention to it you still gotta you still gotta do a little bit of uh of your own work to pay attention and, and, and inspect stuff which goes with whether you're using steel floral carbon or anything you know it's up to up to the to the fisherman to make sure what he's using is 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 okay. You know, it doesn't need it doesn't need to be changed out. You know, leaders the least expensive part of your whole setup. So, uh, you know, no, we were kidding about the the price of the baits, but the price of the baits these days isn't going down, and it's a big investment with some of these lures. So, you got to protect that. Plus, you don't want to wind up losing a big fish or. Um, harming that fish if, if you do get a break off on it so yeah those are those are valid points as well yeah yeah so um why why 150 pounds why what chose what avenue took you there uh well really it was the 130 pound to 150 pound where the was kind of the it's kind of a trade-off with with those two leaders uh because when fluorocarbon carbon first hit the musky market the only thing that was pretty much available out there was was a hundred pound, and when you start getting under a hundred pound, that's where you start hearing a lot of the stories about oh, I tried fluorocarbon and I got bit off with it. Okay. So I wanted something heavier. I wanted something that was going to hold up to uh, more than you know one or two fish, and uh, you know from from just doing research and everything else, the the hundred thirty plus range of fluorocarbon just just seemed to be a lot more abrasion resistant and a, and a lot more forgiving if you did get 
nicked up or, or that on it. So that heavier stuff, and for most of our bigger musky baits, uh, that size diameter of that fluorocarbon, that heavy fluorocarbon, isn't going to affect the action of most of our larger size baits. Okay, that makes sense. So, John, I know that we talked about um, when you change, you know, what you got to look for in a fluorocarbon leader. I know another topic that comes up all the time is snaps. I hear about it all the time on uh, Facebook and message boards and things like that. I, the, typically, the rule of thumb I always ran with on running out, on changing up a snap because I always use your stealth tackle leaders is when the back, when the loop part of the snap on the back side of the snap started to turn silver and the black mm-hmm. coating started to wear off is about the time sure. that I would replace it. Is that yep. still typically about what you'd looking for, what you're looking for? Yeah, when you start seeing that the bottom of that snap starting to turn real, real shiny, bright color. Now nowadays the 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 paint on on any of those snaps doesn't seem to whatever process they use to paint them, the the paint comes off pretty uh, pretty quickly. Um, so, but that's still kind of a rule of thumb if you see it get real shiny. But the biggest thing is probably if you're changing baits and you start to feel that snap getting a little bit easier to open and close right then that that tells you that snap's getting weak so that's when you want to change out that snap but the nice thing about using the stay lock snaps is that you can loop a stay lock snap off of your leader and put a new one on without having to to change out the whole leader so if the leader's fine you can just change that snap out when you start feeling it get real spongy when it's opening and closing so, John, do, do you sell just the Salox as well, besides yes. the Yes. Yes. Yes, we do. We sell the we sell the uh, the, the snaps, and they are the, the genuine uh, Stalock brand uh, Stalox that, that are, are Stringy's brand Stalox that uh, were the first ones on the market that used to have a patent on them, but now I think the patent expired. We're starting to see a lot of those popping up under under different brands and they're just they just don't seem to hold up the same sure so one one last thing on snaps john um you want to talk the one thing i've seen as a retailer that's gotten more popular lately is those fast hatch they're still not nearly as popular as the the stringies um you want to talk a little bit about fast hatch yeah the fast hatch is basically an alternative to so the the stay lock snap is is a snap that was designed by stringies where you have to put, and if anybody does is not familiar with the stay lock, it has the circle on it where you have to put the hasp through the circle and then around the bottom of the snap. And there's a lot of people out there that have trouble with those snaps, and they could be a little tricky at first, you know, figuring them out. And then there's some people that just can't do it. They just, they just whether they don't want to or they have a little bit of a physical issue, which I've run into with some people, um, so stringies came out with the fast hatch snap, which is basically a snap that you don't have to open or close. It just twists on and it twists off, which they're fine, but they're still not going to give you what a stay lock snap gives you. Um, and the one thing to remember with them is like a number five stay lock snap is rated at 300 pounds. Uh, number five fast hatch snap is only rated at 150 pounds, so they run about half the the pound test if you if you're doing a pull test on them. Um, and then the key to that fast hatch is it clicks when you put it out or take it off. 
if you're not hearing that clicking sound, that means the metal has expanded or the wires expanded and you either need to pitch that down with suppliers or change it out. So, and I like them for trolling more than I do casting. Uh, if, if you're, if you're casting a lot with them and you're using a thin wire bait, they can work their way off unless you pinch that end down to prevent them from working their way off. There's, there's quite a few anglers out there still that use, uh, they'll use their leader and then use a split ring too to attach to the baits. I, yeah. I am not yeah. one, and the reason I'm not one is I've had it walk off, and a lot of times with the smaller leaders, um, the material's so small that it, right. it will start to thread off, but yeah. I mean, it, it is a positive way. There's no doubt. Yeah, you're eliminating a snap, but what, what I would recommend instead of going right to the wire or the material with your split ring is using a solid ring. So instead of the snap, we have the solid ring on there, which is a little bit thicker. So that also will help prevent that split ring from, you know, working its way off of there. Right. But again, with everything, it boils down to the person making sure they're inspecting this stuff, paying attention to it every cast in. You want to make sure that, that you're not seeing it work its way off or anything like that, too. So, Right. Yep. So how about in the trolling side of things, John? Um, oral carbon versus standard uh, solid wire. What would you say? Do you, you probably sell way more floral. I'm, I'm yes. Sure. Yeah. Floral is for trolling is, is definitely probably 10 to one uh, versus wire. Um, you know, everybody wants the, the, the clear factor. Uh, they want the longer lengths. A lot of guys are, are fishing like St. Clair and out East further out East, I guess uh, I've never been out there, but I'm hearing it's ultra clear water out there, like the, the St. Lawrence and all that. So, uh, you know, full carbon kind of gives you that invisibility factor too. Um, and so a lot of guys, but even Green Bay, you start going further North, you got a lot of clear water up that way, you, you know, Eagle Lake, Lake of the Woods, you know, there's, uh, Floral is, is pretty much where, where guys seem to want to be with the, with the trolling. If they are banging a lot of rocks or coming in contact with a lot of structure, that's where I'm selling more of the stranded wire leaders. Right. So. I, I sometimes use uh, some stranded wire um, in my trolling application. One, because I think sometimes you get a little bit of a sing. You know, there's a little noise. Yeah. From that right. wire, so. like kind of like a downrigger when a downrigger wire makes the noise. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yep. so. yeah that, that makes sense. And also, uh, if you're trolling with smaller baits, especially early in the year, that that wire is going is going to give those smaller lures much better action than than the bulkiness of the floral carbon because you're cutting through the cuts through the water a lot easier. Right. Right. So. Um, let me ask you this: um, Trolling leaders, uh, a general standard, I guess, would be thirty-six to the forty-eight inch. Um, yes. And what primarily is the reason for that, and why? I mean, what what are we doing there? Well, thirty-six to forty-eight is 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 probably what we sell the most of. Um, you'll you'll hear guys like over at St. Clair, the big boats that are running like ten, twelve foot leaders. 
and I go over there and fish with those guys and they run, they're, they're running the real super long leaders so that they could clip weights further up higher and catch weeds and, and so on and so forth. But you got to remember that they're fishing out of say a 32 foot boat. And most of us are fishing out of 16 to 20 foot boats. So if you got 10 foot a leader, unless you're doing the union knot that's going to make it through your line, your eyelets, um, you've got to be able to work that fish in a small area. And if you've got an eight or nine foot rod and 10 foot a leader out, you're probably going to have trouble getting that thing in the net. So uh, three, four foot is manageable, but yet it still gives you enough length where you can have the invisibility factor from the floral carbon. If you want to hang, say, a cannonball sinker off of that uh, swivel, to, to catch weeds coming by or, or a weed guard if you don't want to run weight on it. And it still allows that lure to move freely. So you're yep. still getting the, the action longer out of that, out of that lure. So that all makes sense. I, I kind of like running uh, four foot leaders in my open water stuff that mm -hmm. I do. And, mm -hmm. uh, and when I'm hanging, you know, I'll hang an eight ounce or 16 ounce cannonball on the front of that leader. Mm -hmm. And the neat thing about doing that is, is you get a lot of snaky motion in the, out of the bait, yeah. you know. Right. You, can, you get a walk in a little bit too. Exactly. So which they, which they like, I think a lot of those St. Clair baits over there, that's, if it doesn't walk, it's, it, 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 what's they're saying something about hunting and catching or something like that. So, right. yeah, they want, they want, they want those things to move around too. And, you know, one other thing about the, the longer leaders for trolling and you've probably seen this where sometimes when you catch a fish, they roll up in the leader. Right. So if you're running a real short leader, you're risking two things. One, getting a gill plate cut in your line. And also it's, it's helping protect the fish a little bit, especially like the foil carbon is nice, nice and thick where it's not going to cut the fish's skin as easily. And if you're using wire, it's usually a good idea with the trolling leaders to run a, coated wire to help also protect you know from that very thing so kind of helping to protect the fish a little bit too that's a great point yeah yeah, yeah. something that most of us wouldn't have probably thought about <laughs> but that's 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 awesome I, I didn't come up with it i'm sure somebody made me aware of it so <laughs> so that's that's why we do it so no doubt no doubt right. how about let's talk swivels then I mean, all right. obviously all swivels aren't created equal. Um, no. What, what are you using and, and why? We have, so I use, mainly I stick with two different types of swivels. One is our own branded um, ball bearing swivel, which when I first started doing this, I just spent too much money getting samples of, swivels to try out until we finally found something that we were sure was going to last good uh, uh, we had uh and they're overseas which is why we spent the money to do it to get as many samples as we could to make them cost effective but uh we found a company over there that kind of worked with us as far as our specs go of size rings and that and allowed us to to brand them on our own so they're kind of our own swivel and then the other swivel we use is a 
uh, high seas American fishing wire barrel swivel that we'll use on stuff. But with the barrel swivels, most barrel swivels are made out of uh, like brass. So they tend to be lighter and break easier. The ones we use that, that AFW makes are stainless steel. So they're very strong barrel swivels and they have less weight than the, than the uh, ball bearing swivels. So, you know, if you're using, again, back to a, a lure that might be a little bit uh, a little bit finicky with the action on it, you can uh, eliminate a swivel altogether or go to a lighter weight swivel to help get the full action out of that lure. Sure. So, so John, since you were talking about the finicky action on certain baits, I think it's com. It's it'd be maybe more common in a beginning musky angler. They'd think that I put on a 130 pound fluorocarbon leader. I should be able to use this for all these different baits that I have in my box, which simply isn't true. You want to talk maybe a little bit, or we can go. You know, give some examples of a few different baits that you'd say are super finicky with leaders. But I know that there definitely are certain leaders that match certain baits much better than others. Yeah, I mean, uh, this the, it, that pretty much started with the with the rattle baits that, that Tony and Greg were using down in Cave Run. You know, they they found that that having a, a, a bulky musky leader on those little lures, they just weren't getting the full action out of those lures. So we kind of developed that uh, spring leader, the short leader with uh, a solid wire and just a loop, eliminate the swivel altogether, direct tie, and then uh, a solid ring, eliminate the snap altogether, so you're just split ring right to that ring, and it just makes a huge difference with those little lures, and then that kind of also evolved into other smaller baits and twitch baits and things like that to where, you know, eliminating that bulky leader helped get the action out of uh, the, the lures. Uh, a good example is, you know, everybody's thinking fluorocarbon for clear water. My theory is action trumps invisibility. So if you're putting, if you're, we were on Lake Geneva a few weeks ago for the Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin opener, and that's ultra clear water. But I, I was using wire leaders, not that it made a difference because all the fish were up shallow spawning and wanted nothing to do with eating. But in theory, if you're going to put a big bulky leader on a lure, just cause you're in clear water, you're really not going to do yourself a favor in trying to trick those fish because you're not getting the full action that that lure was designed to have. So I, I know from my, I know from my standpoint, I would say, you know, glide baits such as phantoms, uh, hellhounds. Well, maybe not a hellhound so much because they kind of work on anything. Right. But yeah, hellhound will work good on floral leader without yeah. a problem. But yeah. I was gonna say, but I know phantoms seem to be really finicky. The squircle is kind yeah. of finicky too. Yeah. I know it, yeah. it just seems like you want to just try to get is you want to get yeah. it down to as basic of a leader as you can. Yeah. One of the well, the the, the squircle specifically. You know, when when Billy first took those on years ago, one of the first things he did was call me up and go, I need you to make a leader for this so that we could get this bait working right because people would write that bait off as as just being garbage because they were using the wrong leader application with it and weren't getting the full action out of it. And, you know, as you know, it's not a standard 
side to side, you know, that people like to see. It's it's really erratic, but they're awesome baits, and we caught a lot of fish on those baits in Indiana. Uh, but they are leader sensitive, so you wanna you wanna downsize into a wire leader, eliminate as much as the hardware as you can, and you're gonna get way better action out of those lures. And you know, those those squircles are awesome when not necessarily when everything's going good and everything's on fire, but when things kind of go negative, that's one of the lures that will shine on those types of days when you're having, when you're having a tough time getting fish in the boat. So, well, there's one last thing that I'm thinking of, and I don't know if you were going to follow up with what he just said there. Um, I don't want to interrupt, but one thing that I do appreciate John is, you know, and you know, my, I don't want to say hatred, but I have a huge dislike for crimps and I know yeah. crimps are important in your business. Um, sure. but I, I always worry about failure, um, with crimps mm-hmm. because I've had crimps fail in the past. And sure. the neat thing that you provide is that you actually tie some of those leaders before you crimp them. And, right. uh, just another step of insurance, you know? Right. And, and there is a, you know, one thing, the crimp is, it, it, it is there for a little bit of insurance, but the knot we use is as solid and knot as you're ever going to get. And if we never crimped it, I would not have any worries about the knot coming undone. As a matter of fact, the only thing that knot's going to do is it's going to tighten up. So one of the reasons for that knot-crimp combo that a lot of people don't know is so that it keeps that loop in place so that that snap has a little bit of play in there and that swivel has a little bit of play in there to help, you know, lures with their action, but also so that you could change out those snaps on the, on the snap end of it as well. Because if you didn't have that crimp on there, that knot would cinch up and you would never be able to get that snap off of there. Makes sense. So, and it's just a soft crimp. It's not, not necessarily designed to, you know, back up that knot. We have a hundred percent faith in the, in that knot that we tie. So it's it's really there, and it also helps holding that tag end down to keep the brief from picking up on your leader as well. So, yep. Is there uh, is there any new products that you're going to be introducing? Or I'm guessing you're probably working on some stuff right now, John. You're usually uh, <laughs> looking at stuff all the time. There, there's a lot of stuff hanging out in the garage that is like halfway there. The, the, I guess the, the good thing you would say is that we're, we're too busy to see a lot of it through. We got a lot of ideas and I know Brad, we've, we've bounced a few ideas off of each other that, yeah, that's going to work. Yeah. Then what winds up happening is we both wind up getting busy. Next thing you know, we're talking about it again at the show during the show season. So that's, that's a, was I allowed to say that word? <laughs> no, it's, well, a, it's, it's only May. We can't talk about that for another right. couple months. Okay. Okay. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff that, that we're kind of having the works, but just haven't had the time to, to, to see it all the way through yet. So I, you know, we're, we're definitely got ideas out there. Let's put it that way. Well, the neat thing is, is you've been super innovative with a lot of the the different things that you're already making. And and I know that you're continually working on new stuff. And I think that's important. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's important for me to have guys 
a good group of guys, core group of guys that are on the water every day since I can't be that I could send stuff to or that, you know, call me and say, Hey, I'm, this is what you need to do, or this is, you know, we need something for this. So that, that's, that's huge for, for my businesses is having people and you guys probably say, say with the bucktails, you got to have feedback from good people that aren't sending you on a wild goose chase or giving you an unrealistic idea. You know, they're, you, you got to have good people to work with out there. So there's that, no doubt. That's huge. Yeah. None of us could do what we're doing today without solid right. for a group of people. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that, that's, that's a lot of uh, the success to my company has a, has a lot to do with a lot of the people that are out there using my products. So, you just can't say enough about that. There's no doubt about it. So, John, I think we covered the ma- the majority of your products. Let's talk a little bit about fishing since we haven't really touched on that yet. It's been super technical, talking about leaders, different materials, different snaps. Um, let's talk about something fun like fishing. I know recently you got out for the Indiana Classic. You also got down to Lake Geneva for that uh, muskie school, the Geneva Muskie Convention put on by Pete Rich and Ryan McMahon. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about? Uh, let's just you know hit on it for a few minutes. How you know how are things are how are things going on the water for you? What have you seen so far this year? What are you uh, what are you hoping to accomplish on the water this year too? Well, right now I just like to catch a fish. <laughs> the first two times I went were we did the muskie school with with Ryan and Pete, and they did a great job with that down on Lake Geneva for the Southern Opener. Uh, they incorporated some local guides into that, Doug Cloet, um, uh, Andrew, I can't think of Andrew's last name, was there guiding. Um, then, uh, and then each night they had, you know, some segments they were doing. Uh, the problem was Lake Geneva is really, or the good thing is Lake Geneva is really going to turn into an awesome musky fishery eventually. Uh, the problem was they were in full-blown sm- spawn mode. Uh, and we couldn't, the first day we couldn't even get a fish to chase a bait. Um, day two, we had three fouls and we felt like we won something because we actually got fish to chase lures, um, right there at the end, but, uh, saw a lot up shallow. Uh, they were just not wanting to eat. I think three fish were caught out of 40 or 50 people that attended and those were caught at like the ungodly earliest hour uh after the opener well let's see the season opened at midnight i think there was a group of guys that were literally out on the water at like 2 a.m so <laughs> they were ready to go i was i had my head on a pillow but i guess i should have been out on the water that's so, yeah yeah i yeah i gotta give them credit but uh so then i had uh last week we were out in indiana for the indiana muskie classic and uh that is run by the Hoosier Muskie Hunters, and they do a great job of uh, raising money for the Indiana fishery. So, and I think both of you guys are both all sponsors of, of that. So we appreciate, uh, definitely appreciate that because we basically raise money to give to the DNR for any projects that they want to implement into the muskie fishing for the year. So they'll come to us and say, hey, we want pit tags or pit tag guides or we want to feed fish over the winter so we can hold them back and so that's what we use the money that we uh that we make from the tournament for and 
that made for some tough fishing too. It was uh, very unstable weather, like I think everybody's been seeing everywhere. Have you guys been getting a lot of the rash of storms up your way too, Brad and Carrie, or no? Uh, it's, it's been nonstop. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been brutal. So, um, twenty-seven fish over three days of fishing out of eighty teams. We usually that's that's a little low. We usually have have a, a, a better number of fish. I think the biggest was a 48 and a half, um, and then followed up by a 46. The team that won caught, they doubled or tripled, so they were on some kind of pattern that I wasn't able to get the information on because I wasn't around for the awards, but uh, we raised a lot of money, so uh, the Indiana muskie fishery is, is, is looking pretty good, so... What, what were your water temps down there, John? Water temps were opening weekend. We were still like uh, in Geneva. It was mid to upper 40s. And then Indiana last week was uh, high 50s to low 60s. Okay. So when they had fish, we moved fish on glide baits. Uh, Six-inch phantom was, was what probably moved most fish in our boat um twitch baits saw a few on twitch baits there were a lot of glider fish caught i think there were some fish caught on blades and there were also fish caught on top water so pretty much pretty much full-blown but the, the storms had just had everybody kind of chasing patterns i don't think anybody was able to put together a pattern because not that there were a lot of storms during the tournament hours but every night it seemed like there was a different, different system rolling through, so it kind of, kind of messed things up. Yeah, that's uh, both Jeff and I's fear in the Northland here. Jeff, Jeff being in northern Wisconsin, and yeah. us being here in northern North Central Minnesota. Um, this weather has not done us any favors, obviously. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that we've been dealing with the last couple of years, honestly. So, right, we're going to yeah. get used to it at some point. Yeah, and hopefully the fish do too. I mean, they still got to eat, so you know, eventually, yeah, you know, it's lousy out. They still got to eat, so exactly. Say, Brad, one thing we, one common theme I keep hearing in these three first three episodes we've done on podcasting is water temperature. Let's just spend a second touch on it. Is water temperature like one of the very first things and most important things you want to know when you hit the water that day? Well, not necessarily, I guess. Um, but I mean, it, it definitely that first couple weeks of the season, you know, water temp becomes a, a major issue, right? I mean, you want to, uh, you want to kind of know what's going on because that's going to give you that, that, uh, first inclination of what fishing is going to be. Right. right. So yeah. like, like I said, in one of the other podcasts, you know, as a guide, um, we're all starting fresh every year. And if it's your first time on the water, guess what? You, uh, you definitely, um, you, there's a learning curve. You know, the beauty of being a guide is that you're on the water every day. You know what happened yesterday and you know what happened the day before. Well, on opener, we're all in the same boat. We're all working to try to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, that, that spawn temp um, for muskies, it's really interesting. Here for our walleye opener, which is Mother's Day weekend, um they had the dnr had a bunch of hoop nets out trying to catch muskies and i I still haven't heard how many they got 
I do know that the muskies have been shallow, but I'm, I'm a little concerned now that our temps dropped again. We've had a bunch of cold rains, and um, I'm going to say that it might have put a little, little dent into the whole spawning sequence, if you will. And um, that spawning sequence, from what I've seen up here in our area, is in that 50-some degree water. Um, the next key that I see is, um, you know, primarily in the open water, but it's not just there. 62-degree water is where those mayflies start to hatch. And mm -hmm. the mayflies hatching will honestly bring you um, all the other bait fish. They're going to be there to feed on them. And guess what? Those predator fish are right behind there. So, so that's the key, I think, Jeff, is, you know, I want to know if those fish have spawned, if they've went through the motions um, before I get on the water. And, and the way I do that is with water temp. So. It's funny. It's funny you bring out the mayfly hatch. It just brings me back to a story. Um, uh, quite a few years ago, I was on a pattern for probably like two weeks. When the may when the mayflies were hatching, the crappies would come up and they were hitting these mayflies right off the surface. And I knew when I heard I knew when I heard that sound of them hitting the surface, the crappies just they just come up and slurp it right off the surface. But you'd hear this like popping sound. I knew that if I took a cowgirl after dark, it didn't matter. I, I just knew I was going to catch one. I, all I had to do was just stick it out for about an hour to an hour and a half after dark. And with sometime from dark to an hour and a half after, I would catch a muskie just by slow rolling these cowgirls after dark. And it happened for two weeks straight. Every single night I went out. I didn't. I knew I was going to get one. I didn't know when I was going to get one. I just knew I was going to get one. So just, you know, something to pay attention to when you're on the water. Just pay, like we, we talked about it last episode with the electronics. Just don't always just focus on your electronics. Pay attention to your surroundings as well. There's no doubt. No doubt. And I, I would throw one more thing in there that, that we, that definitely stood out uh, during the, the Indiana weekend with the tournament was uh, the moon phase. And uh, it was evident, especially Saturday, and I think more so when conditions are tough, there was a window that opened up with a lot of people. I mean, we had 80 teams there, so a lot of people were talking together. And I was amazed how many teams had action in about a 10 or 15-minute window when there was a major going on. So that had a lot you know that that's huge too i think is knowing when those when those windows are opening and closing is, sure. is pretty big you know so i've i've always followed that john and yeah you know one of the i i use john alden knight's book i don't know if you're familiar with that one no uh, hey, but he hey brad yeah i hate to interrupt you but you know they got these things they're called smartphones you can get it right on your smartphone <laughs> Again, I'm going to tell you I'm old school. Um, I mean, I, I know I know you're not on Facebook because that's still probably pretty new for you, but they do have these things that are right there on your phone. You can check them out. <laughs> you can, but I, what I will tell you is that John Alden Knight's book is, uh, in my opinion, superior because I, I yeah. have followed some of them on my phone. Um, remarkably, Carrie put them on there for me. Um, I, I knew it wasn't you. <laughs> but, you know, over a period of years, you know, I've always said that majors and minors, um, moonrise, moonset, you know, all of these different factors become apparent. But unfortunately, so I'm, I'm happy you said this, John, because it, it'll help me probably here, too. Those majors might be the key this year. And I would say yeah. year after year after year, don't get me wrong, there's multiple windows throughout the day of fishing. Sure. But 
there's usually one very solid window. And, right. and that's the neat thing about tournaments because now you guys are conversing and, and you know yeah. when those fish were caught, you know? Right. Um, and there was, it was very clear that there was a, that there was a window open. It was a very short one too. So, right. But if, if you didn't believe in, in the moon thing before, afterwards you, you were going, Oh yeah, there's something to it. So, it makes sense. It yeah. definitely does. But every year I would say it's one of, one of those windows, those key points that we look for as musky fishermen, um, each year it's one of those that are the primary, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that might be the AM mi- minor. It might be the major in the PM. Um, so you got to look at that too. Um, but we all want to try to benefit from the little bit of knowledge that we all have in this musky game and put it to our advantage for time on the water. So Yeah, absolutely. I love it. By the way, Brad, I was just giving you a hard time. I'm definitely familiar with John Alden Knight. I used to use it myself before I went into the technology age. <laughs> but I, well, I I'm, also... I'm telling you, I, 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 I will look... It's, it's funny, Jeff, because I, I'll use John Alden Knight. I'll look at two different ones on my phone for, for different... I don't even remember the names. I will also look at... Um, I also am a big archery hunter, so... With the whitetail side of things, I have a moon phase uh, book that tells you when you should be in the stand. And I'll use that and relate it back to fishing as well, because then when hunting season comes around, it kind of helps you too. It's, it's totally amazing. It truly is. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest relation that we can have, um, if, if you've ever had a phone call, you usually have two or three at the same time. Sure. Well, guess what? It's probably a minor or a major. Um, and it definitely comes that way in streaks. Um, pay attention to that because I think we're affected by it too. We might not realize it, but we are affected by it on a daily basis. Oh, well, I could guarantee you that. I drive a school bus part-time and, and I know when there's a full moon. <laughs> that is true. There is truth in that. So It's funny that you talk about the phone call thing because sometimes I'll get like three orders on my website in a row and I'll, I'll just say to my wife, must have been a moon phase. Yep, it's so true. It, it really well, I like the I like the bar closing orders better because those are usually usually the good ones when you see the one come across at like two a.m. Yeah, but then they always want to refund at seven thirty in the morning when they wake up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's funny. No, you can you can relate it to your your family pets. Um, you'll yeah. have a dog that lays around for four or five hours straight, and all of a sudden he's up and he's moving around. Um, same kind of deal, you know, yeah. but keeping your eye on that can help you, uh, get on the water at the right times. Without a doubt. Well, do we have anything to add yet tonight to this one? Well, not off the top of my head. I think John did a great job and again, self tackle. Um, John's, uh, is a solid guy and I definitely would uh, stand behind his product. So well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So, John, why don't you uh, why don't you let everybody know um, where they can get a hold of you if they want more of your products or if they want to just get in touch with you because you're super awesome to talk to? Just uh, StealthTackle.net or uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm dabbling with trying to figure out the Instagram thing. So... Uh, try to stay on top of that, but the best way is to contact us through our website. And Carrie and Brad, if people want to get in touch with you, what should they do there? 
Um, the best way to get a hold of us is also either email or um, through Instagram or Facebook, and the emails just info at multimayhem.com. Or you can go right on the website and email through there too. Excellent. And if you also wanted to get in touch with Carrie or me, you could go to and email us through the podcast. We have a podcast email now. It's backlashpodcast at gmail.com. We also went and set up a Facebook page um, for the podcast. So if you wanted to go to a Facebook and like our Backlash podcast on Facebook, if you have guests that you would like us to potentially get in touch with on, um, you know, whether it be Muskie or Pike, we could do walleye too. Brad will have to lead the charge because I can't catch a wallet to save my butt. Um, <laughs> you'd think they'd be easy because they're everywhere, but they're not. But anyways, if you have something you want to do, something you want to share with us, get in touch with us either way. Um, again, I'm Jeff. I own a company called Team Rhino Outdoors. You can check out our products from Stealth Tackle, Muskie Mayhem Tackle, as well as a bunch of other stuff at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. Anybody else got anything to say to wrap up episode number three? Well, no, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. No problem, John. I think it was good. I think uh, you brought some knowledge that even I learned a little bit on. So it's important, um, and hopefully we can keep that trend going on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the idea now. To, you know, we sort of talked about it multiple times, is we want to hopefully when the when somebody gets done listening, they they can take something away from the podcast to help them put more fish in the boat. Absolutely. Well, we thank everybody. We thank all three of you for listening again tonight. Hopefully at the next episode, we'll have four listeners. Um, Thank you to Brad and John and Carrie for being a part of this. And we'll catch you all in episode four. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, guys. Good luck fishing.